Hey, and thanks for taking the time to listen with us here at Gospel Way as we seek to find rest in Christ. Please know that this is supplemental and does not replace your local church or the pastor that God has given to shepherd your soul. But it is our prayer that God will use these resources to bless you and point you to Jesus. And we'll be looking this evening at verse 22 through verse 29. Um, I was actually, as I was replacing my ribbon in my Bible, <laughs> Um, to put it in this section, I noticed that we are at the end of Romans. Um, which another thing that we can point out and know from this point on is there's really no massive theological treatise left in the book. Paul basically is going to spend the rest of the book. He's going to, in this section, he's going to tell everyone of what his plans are to be and then he's going to write his his closing his uh he gives a short ps if you will at the end of chapter 16 but but Paul is done making the case for the gospel in a sense and what he's doing now is he is he's finishing up what he's been trying to say um so there's a few things here that we'll look at but it's again it's not going to be a a necessarily a this this verse and this word is seen here and in this way, but it's going to be a a more I guess what I'm trying to say is we're going to be taking a larger section for the next couple of weeks until we actually end the book of Romans. But what I do want to look at this evening is Paul's plans because he had plans just like we do. He made plans, he spent time planning, but in all of his plans, Paul submitted to God's plan. And that's ultimately what we are called to do. We aren't passive in God's plan. We know God has a plan. We can look around and understand that God has planned out specific things, and God has given us specific instructions but we can't just sit back and say, well, God has a plan and we're just going to not do anything. Because that's not what God intended on, nor is it what we see in Scripture. And that's, again, in essence, what we'll be looking at is principles that, that we can see from Paul's speaking to the church at Rome. So again, God has a plan. We're not passive participants. We are active in the plans of God. So we'll read verse 20. We'll start at verse 22. We'll read verse 22 down through verse number 29. And uh, we'll look at the couple of things that Paul says here. Verse 22 says, For which cause I also, I have been much hindered from coming to you. So he's getting ready to tell us why he's not come to Rome already. He says, But now having no more place in these parts... And having a great desire these many years to come unto you, whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you. For I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought out of my way thitherward by you, if you be somewhat filled with your company. But now I go to Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. And it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia 
to make certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles, having been made partakers of spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. When therefore I have performed this, and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. And I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness and of ble- fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. So Paul is in essence explaining to the church here. He's got done writing what he's written. He's addressed theology. He's addressed the state of sin. He's addressed practically how we're to live our lives as well as other things. But Paul is telling them now that his plans are to come to Rome. He, he, he's saying, I'm coming to see you. Um, so tonight, I want to look at Paul's plan in verse 22 through 24. Paul's planning in verse 25 through 27 because it's difficult to have a plan without planning. And Paul's submission to God's plan in verse 28 through 29. There was a uh, there was a man that lived back in the 1617-1800s. I'm not positive of exactly when he was born and when he died, but his name was William Carey. And he's known as the father of modern missions. So the missions movement that we know of today where there are people trying to go into lands that have never heard of the gospel, this movement is looked back on and seen as being started or being fueled by William Carey. There's men that we can think of in a little bit more modern history that actually came from the United States, like Adoniram Judson. Um, And there's some that we know of because they were termed to be explorers in their mission work, like David Livingston. But all of this was kind of stirred up by this man named William Carey. William Carey's motto for his life, what he, what he said that he lived by, was this phrase. And we, we, some, some of us may have heard it before, but he said, Expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. In the day that William Carey lived, the, the main theology was what we now know as a as a form of hyper-Calvinism. John Gill and as well as some others, they had the idea that if God was going to do what he was going to do, then they just needed to stand back and let him do it. There was actually a man that came to William Carey when he was going around and trying to gather up some funds to go to Asia. There was an older man in a church that he'd been the pastor there for years, and he made the statement to William Carey, He said, if God desires to save the heathen, then he'll save the heathen. You don't need to go anywhere or do anything. If God wants to do it, he'll do it. To William Carey's response to this man, he said, how do you not know or how can you not believe that maybe God is desiring to win the heathen through me? And in essence, these these people's theology wasn't that different but it was the way that it played out in their life. William Carey, what, what actually, and I know I've mentioned this before, but what prompted William Carey's work 
it was seeing God as being in control. Because he read in Revelation where there were many tribes and tongues and nations, and he felt compelled to go. And whenever he was asked why, he said, God has people in these other countries, and we have to go get them. He saw the plan of God, and he submitted himself to God's plan. But in that same sense, William Carey just didn't submit to God's plan of winning people in other countries and sit back and not do anything about it. He expected God to do great things. He expected God to save a people through the gospel. But not only did he expect it, he attempted to take the gospel to them. And that's exactly what he did. And from that movement that William Carey started... We find people going out and leaving their homes and going other places and spending time even where they live in their own lives and trying to give the gospel out to other people. That's basically what we did yesterday. We spent time and money and a bunch of candy to give the gospel out to people. And we could sit back like John Gill and some others, and nothing against, there's, there's, if you want to talk to me about all of that, I'll talk to you about it later, but there's an issue and, and, and different things that happen, but Thomas Boston, who was against that form of John Gill's theology, said that he was placed by God in there to do other things, and again, this is another discussion that we can have for another day, but my point being is, We could say, yes, God will save Rowan County if God wants to save Rowan County. But our responsibility in that, in knowing that God does desire to bring people to himself through the gospel, is to take the gospel to people. That's our responsibility. We're not passive in the work of God. We don't, again, we're not just sitting back and allowing God to work, but we are trying to do the things that we can do in our own lives and our own individual responsibilities and corporately as a church to get the gospel to people around us. And we all know that we cannot force people to come to God. We cannot get people in a building and force them to come to an altar. We can't force things out of people. But God has positioned and planned to save people, and he's allowed us to be the means. And that's what I was referring to as that first part of what we read tonight. God has designed there to be means in which stuff happens. Paul says in Corinthians, he says that God had chosen through the foolishness of preaching to confound the wise. God could have spread the gospel through any means that he wanted to. He could have had angels flying around telling people the gospel. He could have donkeys talking, speaking the gospel. He could have done it in whatever way he wanted to. But God has chosen to spread the gospel through the proclamation of his people, through our lives and through our speaking to people and through our handing out literature, whatever it may be. God has chosen this is the way that I'm bringing people to myself. And we're to be active in that. And that's basically what what Paul is telling the Romans here. He doesn't say all of what I just said, but what he says is, I'm coming to bring the gospel to you and I'm coming to bring the gospel to Spain. That's my plan. I'm not sitting back hoping that it's going to come by itself, but Paul is planning to come to Rome and to go on through Rome to Spain. And in that same sense of what Paul was planning, he didn't sit there. And again, I know this may be a little off course, but Paul didn't sit there and pray, well, God, if it's your will, where do you want me to go? 
He saw the need and he went. That's what Paul does his whole life. He sees needs and he does whatever he can do to supply those needs and submits himself to God's plan in doing that. And then that's, that's in essence what we're called to do. The Bible says, whatever you find to do with your hands, do it with all your might. And then in another place it says, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. The will of God for us is to do what we do to the glory of God living the way that he told us to live and proclaiming the gospel while we do it. And again, that was, at least in my own life, that was the misconception that I had when I was younger about the will of God. It was like, well, I've got to pray and pray and pray and read my Bible and read my Bible and read my Bible and hopefully God will tell me what he wants me to do. But I found out that he already had. What he wanted me to do was what I was doing. But he wanted me to live a certain way and to take the gospel to people in what I was doing. So my job as a sales manager is no different than someone who has been called to be a missionary to a foreign place because that's where God has placed me. That's what God has me doing right now. I'm proclaiming the gospel in that way, and God is glorified. Now, at the end of the day, God is working through those means. So this isn't necessarily, even in talking about William Carey, it's not a call to say, hey, we better go to a foreign field. The call is do what we do, but do it for God. So as we kind of move on to Paul's planning, so we understand his plan was to go to Spain. But did he ever get there? I can't answer that question for you. But as I was studying and reading through this, I did find out that Clement of Rome, who was the pastor that was in Rome in 96 AD said that Paul made it to the western places of the empire. Whether by western places Clement meant Rome or whether he meant Spain, we don't know. But the indication of some of the historians that I read after said that some said Paul never made it to Spain, that he went to Rome, that he was there for however many years and that he was beheaded. There are others that say that he went to Rome, that he was released for a time, he went to Spain, and then on his way back, he was, he was imprisoned again in Rome. Again, which one of these happened, I don't know, but God knows. And the point being is that the, while Paul may not have ever reached Spain, we know and can be assured of that the gospel reached Spain through the words of Paul because it reached Rome through the words of Paul. So we have Paul's plan. His plan was to get to Spain and to go through Rome on his way. So what can we see about Paul's planning? And this is 25 through 27. And it's, it's really, like I said, there's no deep theological thoughts to pull from here. But we can see what Paul's plans were, what he had in mind. He's in verse 25, but now I go to Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. So he said, right now, I'm not coming to Rome. I want to come to Rome. There's things that have hindered me from coming to Rome, he says in verse number 22. And this is what has hindered him. He has to go to Jerusalem first. What was he doing in Jerusalem? Tells us in verse 26. He said, It had pleased them of Macedonia and of Archaea to make certain contributions to the poor saints at Rome, or for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. He had pleased them verily, and they are debtor, and their debtors they are. For the Gentiles, having made partakers of spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. So basically, what Paul is saying here, and we can understand again from history is that the church at Jerusalem was under persecution. We read about this in First and Second Peter. He's writing to the church in Jerusalem, and he's telling them, 
Your responsibility in all this persecution is to live holy and to preach the gospel. That's your responsibility. Paul is saying that these churches in Macedonia and in Archaea had gathered up things to send to Jerusalem. And when we understand, again, this, there's, there's a lot of different side things that aren't necessarily in the text. But when we can understand the, the history around what was happening in this time, some of the other passages make sense. Um, where John says, if you see your brother naked and you don't clothe him, or you see him in need of food and you don't give him, how dwelleth the love of God in you? Or James says that if you see your, bre- your brother who is naked or who is hungry and you don't take what you have to him, then how good is your faith? Is your, he basically says your faith is worth nothing to that person because it's not being displayed to that person. But in Paul's planning, what he's saying is, he says, I'm going to Jerusalem first because they're under persecution. And that's what these other authors were talking about. They're saying, in this aspect, if you're not willing to go this direction and help out these, this group of people, then how is the love of God being displayed in you? How is faith being displayed out of you? What was, again, what was happening in this period of time was Jerusalem was under persecution. They were lacking in food. They were lacking in clothing. They were lacking in a lot of things. And the Gentiles of the region had gotten together with Paul and said, we need to send stuff to them. And for better or for worse, when we read in First and Second Corinthians where Paul talks about giving and about things being pressed down and running over, Paul wasn't necessarily talking about tithes and offerings to the church. What Paul was talking about specifically in that area of Scripture was what was happening in, happening in Jerusalem. Whenever he said that I desire a gift, not that I can use it, but that it is fruit that abounds to your account— Again, Paul wasn't talking about giving to our favorite TV evangelist or the tithes and offerings that we bring to the church. But what Paul was talking about was those who were giving to those in need that were in the church. Those other people that were in Jerusalem that needed things, Paul was not only saying you gave out of your necessity, you gave out of what you didn't have to these other people who needed it, But what Paul was saying is that they were debtors to do that. Paul wasn't just saying, if you want to do this, you can. But in essence, what Paul was saying here in verse number 26 and 27 is that the gospel came to them from the Jewish people. And that was a spiritual thing. And because they couldn't send the gospel back to the Jews, what Paul was saying is it was their responsibility to minister them in carnal means. What he was saying is their responsibility to send them that food and send them those things that they needed because the gospel had come to them from the Jewish people. And he said that they saw this. So Paul's plan in all of what what he's writing to this church at Rome is that he was first going to go to Jerusalem. Not only was he going to go to Jerusalem, but he was going to take the things from the Gentiles to the Jews there that needed it. That was his plan. He said, I'm going to come to you at Rome, but first I've got to take this stuff that I've gotten from Macedonia and from Archaea, and I've got to take it to these people in Jerusalem. And if we go over to the book of Acts, which we won't tonight, but we know what happens to Paul in Jerusalem. It wasn't good. We can kind of stretch out and look through Paul's life if we read the book of Acts, but 
He heads down to there with all of what he had gathered up. And there's a prophet that comes to him and he binds him with a, basically with his belt. And he says, well, how I'm binding you now is how you will be bound if you go to Jerusalem. He's saying, if you go down there, you're not going to leave the way you want to leave. So Paul's plan again was to go. But was Paul out of the will of God for continuing to go down there, even though he knew that he would be persecuted? And I, I don't believe so. Again, talk, speaking to what we talked about earlier in this, about what the will of God is, I don't believe Paul was going against the will of God, knowing that something bad was going to happen in his mission to do these things for the church of Jerusalem. What we can see from that story in the book of Acts is that Paul's heart was such that he was willing to give of himself his own freedom to take what the other Gentiles in Asia had been willing to give of themselves to help the church at Rome. Paul, in essence, had the same mindset that these other Gentiles had that were sending goods to Jerusalem because he needed to take it to them. We know, again, from the story in the book of Acts, Paul gets there. He actually shaves his head. He goes through a a period of Jewish cleansing because he doesn't want to offend the Jewish people when he gets there. He does all of that. He gets his stuff down to Jerusalem, basically drops it all off. And he is caught up by a group of people who, who do not like him at all. Even though he had went there trying not to offend them, he gets called out into an arena, and he's almost killed. But the Roman authorities come by and say, "Look, you've got to stop all of this. You're you're being you are you you've all getting out of hand, and all this has got to stop." And what Paul does then is he appeals to his Roman citizenship. He's like, "You can't let them take me because I'm a Roman citizen." We know as things go further along, he gets to Agrippa, and Agrippa even says we could have let him go if he hadn't appealed higher to Caesar. But even in Paul's mind, we can obviously understand that Paul was trying to get to Rome, and he figured, hey, what better way to get to Rome than for Rome to pay for it? But in all of this, we can see Paul's planning. Again, not not trying to get too off track here, but... Paul, again, he wasn't just throwing his hands up and waiting for God to move. Paul took the steps that he saw in front of him to accomplish what he believed God wanted him to accomplish. Even if that meant him being persecuted, if that meant him being in prison, whatever it meant for Paul, Paul was taking the best direction that he knew to take. And again, we don't see Paul here stopping and spending days in, in, in the scriptures and in prayer trying to figure out what God wants him to do, whether he should go this way or go that way. But we see Paul taking the direction that he believed to be best and submitting himself to God's plan. And that's what we see in verse 28 and 29. He says, When therefore I have performed this, and have sealed to them this fruit. He's saying, so whenever I have given to this, I've, I've preserved what they have given to me to give to Jerusalem. And once I have given it to Jerusalem, I will come by you into Spain. And he says, I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. So Paul is saying, after everything's said and done, 
I believe that God wants the gospel to come to Spain through Rome. So he's submitting himself to God's plan in the sense that God had given him the commission to preach the gospel. And that's what, exactly what he was going to do. He says, no matter what happens, no matter what, what way I get there, and he may not know all that this time, but he's saying, whatever happens, I believe that God wants the gospel in Spain, and I'm going to do everything that I can do to get it there. He says, I've got other responsibilities. I've got other things that I'm doing. But what we know from the book of Acts, and even even it, it's difficult sometimes, at least for me, to to disconnect the chronological playing out of things in Scripture without already knowing the history behind it. You know, we can look in, even in the Old Testament, we can look and see the rock that followed the children of Israel around in the wilderness. Paul says that was Christ. We can see these things, and we, we read the Old Testament with those kind of lenses, and we can even read the book of Romans with the lenses knowing what happens to Paul. But if we put our Paul in, ourselves in Paul's position, we see, again, his planning. We see the plans that he had, but we see the heart of Paul in just wanting the gospel to get to this group of people in Spain and ultimately in Rome in whatever way that it gets there. Paul, we know, does make it to Rome in a different way than he probably wanted to get there. But I think kind of in conclusion, what we can pull from this text, and again, it's not, again, it's, it's a little bit different for me because as we've gone through Romans for the past two plus years, it's been doctrine and theology and all of these things and word studies and finding out all these things. So taking these big chunks of Scripture that aren't necessarily theologically focused and trying to pull the principles from them is a little bit difficult for me. But I think what we can come away with from this text is is understanding more clearly how the will of God plays out in our life. And we've been we've been talking about some on Tuesday nights about the covenant of redemption that God made. And even on Sunday mornings it's it's alluded to that God made the plan. He made a covenant with himself. And in Scripture, we know that there are those covenants that God made, but the covenant that we see that what the, uh, what, what, what the Reformers and some Puritans called the Pactum Salutis, it was the, the supreme covenant, is what, is they call it the covenant of redemption. That what happened in the beginning before the earth was, is that God designed a plan to redeem a people. It was the covenant that God made to redeem a people to himself. So we've got that overarching umbrella, so to speak, of a covenant. And everything that happens within that happens in different ways. And we see it played out in different areas. But the will of God ultimately, and and I'm, I promise I'm going somewhere with this, the will of God ultimately is to save people. And we've seen that even in, in more recent chapters that the desire that God has and the way that he shows himself and the way that he gets the most glory out of our lives is whenever the gospel goes out and people are brought to himself. Whenever he can show mercy to people, that is how God gets the glory for himself. He gets glory out of mercy, not out of showing himself as, as wrathful and mighty, but he gets the most glory out of showing mercy. Out of saying, this is who I am. I am, I am loving. I'm, I have 
mercy towards people. He's long-suffering, all these things. That is the way that God gets the supreme glory, and that is the covenant of redemption. So God is getting the most glory out of this overarching covenant, but all of what happens in here, we are, in a sense, actors in. We can know and we can be assured of that God is going to use our lives to bring people to him. Whether, whether he brings one person to him, whether he brings 100,000 people to him through our life, that's not up to us. But we ought to live our life in such a way that we are attempting to do, like William Carey said, attempting to do these great things for God. I should live my life in such a way that every day that I go to work, I expect someone to come to me or I expect a conversation to come up where I can give the gospel. When I go out to Walmart or to a restaurant or wherever else I may go during the day, I should go those places with the thought in the back of my mind, expecting the opportunity to give the gospel. I should be expecting that. I should be prepared to do that. But even in expecting that and being prepared to do that, part of what we can see from Paul's life is we have to be willing to to put our to put our hand in it a little bit to actually to actually attempt to do those things. Um, one of the things that I will never forget was a conversation that Brother Charles had with someone a few years ago that they were talking about praying. And he said, well, sometimes we got to put a little feet to our prayers. And in a sense, I, we're not helping God do things. We're, God doesn't need us. Right. But we are active participants. And, and, and I want to emphasize the word participant because that's who we are. We are active in what is happening in this covenant that God has made with himself and said, I am going to do this. We are active participants. God has given us the privilege to be part of the way that he has decided to do these things. And in all of that, and that's ultimately, again, that's what Paul, that's where Paul saw himself. He saw himself as a minister of the gospel, he said, this is who I am. This is everything that I do in my life, whether I'm making tents or I'm bringing goods to Jerusalem, everything that I'm doing, I'm doing with the purpose to get the gospel out. And we're not making that, we're not, we're not, in saying all that, I don't want to convey the idea that we're making our lives an end to a means. We, and again, this is this is something that, that I even deal with a lot of times is thinking, well, I need to do this and live this way and be nice to this person so I can have the opportunity to do these other things. But Paul has got done saying through Romans 14 and 15 that the means is us showing the love of God and the ends is us showing the love of God. And when we do those things, God does everything else. So to kind of conclude everything, I know it was a little bit, it was a little bit scattered and it was a little bit... I don't know, grasping is the right word, but as we live our lives, what we're called to do is to live like we live, to live in a way that shows the love of God, to live in a way that shows a preparation and an expectance to be able to do these great things from God. But in all of that, we are still finding those places. 
it, it, it may it may be a conversation that I have with someone tomorrow where I can find that place to insert the gospel. It may it may be a it may be a festival that a nearby town has that we can find places to insert ourselves in to get people the gospel. And that's what Paul was doing. That's that's what Paul if if we're going to, if we're going to pull any principle from this text is to expect God to do things to us and find places where we can input ourselves, where we can participate. I'm, I am not by any stretch of the imagination. I am not good at any kind of sport. I am a failure at every sport imaginable. Even golf, I wasn't good at. And that doesn't even take any coordination. You're just hitting a ball across places and you're not even competing with someone face to face. But in all of those different things, as I grew up, I found the areas where I could participate in those sports. I wasn't a good pitcher. I couldn't hit the ball half the time. But I was able to find places where I could be a part of the team. I could participate with the team. Typically, that meant left outfield in baseball, or it meant being the guy who just runs around and is the extra person on the on the ba- on the uh, basketball court, whatever it may be, there were areas where I could participate, and in that same way, that's that's Paul's in essence, Paul's life, Paul's principle. What we can pull from the text here is that we can find those areas where we can participate. We not we may not be the next William Carey, we may not be the next Billy Graham, we may not be the next Dale Moody, whatever person we can think of. That may not be us, but it wasn't supposed to be us. What we're called to do is to fit ourselves in as participants in the plan of God wherever we can find ourselves a place. And that's what Paul did. He found a place where he could take stuff to Jerusalem, so he did. He found a way to get to Rome, so he did. Everywhere that Paul went, everything that Paul did, he found ways to do it. If it meant that him and one of his friends had to split up because they had a disagreement, so be it. That was fine with Paul. In Paul's mind, while he, I'm sure he hated to lose the closeness of that friendship that he had, in Paul's mind, hey, the gospel's going out even more now. There's two of us that are taking the gospel. He says basically that in Philippians. Whenever he says, I don't care if people like me or they don't like me, if they're preaching the gospel, I'm going to be happy about it. Because he's saying that all these people, whether he agreed with them, whether they didn't agree with them, whether they were doing great things, whether they weren't doing great things, they were finding places to be participants of the gospel. And we can look at ourselves and we can look at other people and we can find joy in the fact that even though people aren't like us, and that's you know a, <laughs> kind of a callback to Romans 14 and 15, if people aren't like us, even if we don't even like the way our lives turn out sometimes, we can still find places to participate in the will of God because ultimately it's his plan and not ours. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the ability to be...